number of people have actually noticed that I had a haircut between this morning service and this evening service, and the reason I did it is for you lot. I've decided that every Sunday afternoon I'm going to have a haircut to try and look a bit younger. Uh, that is absolute rubbish. But anyway, I've had, I've had quite a day today, if I'm honest. It started early this morning. We have a morning service as well. And I just went down to put the finishing moments to my talk for this morning when my Mac decided to have the wheel of death for an hour and a quarter. That is a bad moment. For any of you who've written an essay recently and you've left it till the last day and you think, oh, do you know what? I'll just save it on the computer. I won't bother saving it in the iCloud. Anyway, I reached about half past seven and I was sitting there going, Am I going to write another talk? I've got an hour. But anyway, the good news is I was praying over the computer screen. I had it in my hands. It's like, Lord, I thought you loved me. Genuinely thought you cared about me. I shabbered over the screen. I did everything. I used tongues. I, I nearly cried, actually. Um, anyway, the you'll be pleased to know the Lord rescued me. And so, anyway, my point is it's been a long day. But God is good. And... For those of you, I know a number of you will have come to the worship evening last Sunday evening, which was amazing, just chance to worship together. And in the morning, we had our 10th birthday, which for some of you isn't a big deal. If you've been doing this for 10 years, it's quite a big deal. And just had the most amazing day. And I was really surprised at how emotional I was, uh, both me and Jen, at the end of the day, almost a little tear but wouldn't go that far. But just looking around the room and seeing all the different people and each one a God story. God, e each one of our lives is a God story. It's what Jesus is doing in each one of our lives. And so to look around and just see, oh, that, that person come to faith or that person has had their marriage restored or that person has been, you know, you can go around and just be like, God, you're so good. And I think that deep down, Myself and Jen are just amazed and humbled and so grateful, so, so grateful for all the lives that the Lord has changed as part of this community. The people that have come to faith, we showed a video last week of Sergio and Sophie and Colin. And they're just three, a picture, a snapshot of three people's lives who've been radically, radically changed by the love of Jesus. And there was Kathy shared a story just about having had 17 allergies that were allergies, um, just gone, just healed, and how that had changed her life as well. But more than anything for me, in the morning service, which was absolute chaos, at the end we invited in the young people and the youth, and they trooped in this army of young people, and just seeing that was amazing. And do you know that 35 of our young people gave their lives to the Lord over the last year? That, that is... That is no small thing, isn't it? 35 little people giving their lives to the Lord. Myself and Jen were in a conference 11 and a half years ago, all about God's heart for the lost. We sang about it this evening. And for lost people, for people that are far from him, from people that do not yet know him. Something happened in that room 11 and a half years ago that broke our hearts so incredibly deeply. Something was imparted in that moment. My wife, Jen, literally cried for four days solidly. 
and there was this guy called Jay Pathak, and he was just talking about how much God loves people who don't yet know him. That moment, that conference, was the impetus for what is happening here today, is that as we sat there, we were just in the process of settling. We were settling down in Nottingham, my wife Jen and I, and we were just looking to, to buy a house, and it was really good, and we were really happy. And then the Lord's power and the Lord's presence came in, and it completely unsettled, it disrupted, it disturbed, and it, it shook our life to the core. And there was this, just this sense of we have to go. We have to go, we have to go. And then before the Lord, it was like, but where are we going? We don't know. There was just this, we have to leave. And it was really around this breaking of our heart for people that didn't yet know Jesus. And often in the vision process, that's what happens. The first thing that happens before we move on to putting legs on a vision is that the Lord breaks our heart. We see it in the book of Nehemiah, with Nehemiah right at the beginning. And the Lord just makes him weep. It talks about in verse 4 of chapter 1 that Nehemiah just wept and cried because he wanted to see the walls of Jerusalem restored. In the same way for us, there was just this deep breaking in our soul of, Lord, we will go. W whatever it looks like. We don't know what it looks like, but we've, we've got to do something. And then over the next 18 months, the Lord began to put feet on this, began to grow this vision out of this brokenness. But it wasn't anything more than that. It started in brokenness, and then a vision emerged, and a place emerged that, we, that the Lord was bringing us to this wonderful, this beautiful, this incredible city. And... Do you know what? We had no idea what would happen. You have this dream in your heart of what God might do as time went by. But this vision in the early stages is both beautiful and vulnerable. It's those two things. It's this image of what the Lord might do. But at the same time, it's so incredibly fragile. And it's so incredibly vulnerable. And, it and so you go about it and you put one foot in front of each other. Left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And that's been the journey that we've clung on to the Lord for dear life. And that's what it feels like. It, it doesn't in any way feel glamorous. Because <laughs> it's not. It's about building his church. And the image um, just given is that it's like a child putting their hand up into their parents. You know, their tiny little hand into their parents' hand as their parent walks on. And that's kind of an image of what it's like. Parents leading. And they're, and they're drawing you, and you're just putting up your little hand, and it's like, Lord. And that's a feeling of what it means when the Lord gives you vision, and he says, right, go after it. Go. This, this Sunday, next Sunday, I'm speaking on for those yet to come, for the people not yet with us. And I want you to stop just as we're at the beginning and think about who that is for you. Because I think that phrase, for those yet to come, is... It's kind of a bit abstract. It's when you personalize it and when you put a name into that sentence that it begins to change it. Who is it for you? Who is it that the Lord has put on your heart? Could be your next door neighbor, could be your course mate, could be your family, could be a great friend of yours. And if the Lord hasn't put anybody on your heart, then I would say that it's probably time to get on your knees and to start saying, Lord, would you break my heart for the things that break yours? So who is it that the Lord has laid on your heart? 
Now just begin to picture them in your mind. Just think about that person. For me, I can think of probably five or six that the Lord's particularly burdened me for. That that's who I pray for. That's who I seek for. What would it take for them to come to relationship in Jesus? Otherwise, it's just a nice idea of something that we talk about every now and then. This idea that we would see people come into the family, that, they w- that we would see people come to know Jesus. It's a nice concept. But actually, when the Lord breaks our heart for it and he leaves a burden in our souls, it begins to change everything. Why do many churches just begin to gradually decline over time? Why is it? I mean, there's, there's many reasons, but I think the number one for me is because they settle. They settle. Because they begin to exist for those already there, for those that are already in their midst, and they might build programs and do all of those wonderful things. And th- There's so many good things in that. But if we're not careful, if the focus ever shifts from being for those yet to come, then the church begins to lose its direction and it begins to lose its power and its presence in the city. What happens is money and resources ends up coming into the center and you begin to maintain what is and you slowly stop reaching out for those yet to come, stop welcoming people so extravagantly. You don't make space for more. You stop taking risks on seeing people come to know Jesus. You take your eyes off the Great Commission. The Great Commission, I don't know about you, but it confronts me. Scripture confronts me when I read it. I'm having, I'm pootling along, having a, a gentle day, and then I read something like the Great Commission, and I'm like, I'm undone again. Matthew 28, then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, been given to Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and then teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. In the first stages, there's this word, come. Come to me, all you who are weary. Come, come, come. That's what Jesus would say to anybody that doesn't know him. Come. And then as soon as we come into this relationship with God, then at the next moment, go. Come and then go. Do not stay. Go. Throughout the scriptures, expand, spread out to the right and to the left. Make the disciples the calling, our calling, your calling. If you love Jesus, is to be a disciple maker. Love God, love others, and make disciples. It's quite simple. Sometimes we love to overcomplicate it. It's like, well, what am I doing as a Christian? You're loving God, you're loving others, and you're making disciples. And you're making disciples that make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's the picture of what kingdom multiplication looks like. Into every environment that we set foot, and I'm talking about us as the collective we, we are to carry the power of Jesus, we're to carry the presence of Jesus, and we are to carry the gospel that restores lives. We have been given this precious, wonderful, incredible, amazing, beautiful gift called the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It is transformative. It changes everything. So when we're talking about for those yet to come, we are talking about people and we are talking about real lives. And as a church, as a community, we want to make space for real lives, for real people, for your friend, for your neighbor, for your colleague, whoever it is. We don't 
We don't know who it is that the Lord's burdened your heart for, but whoever that is, we want to make space for those people. For me, this isn't just a nice idea. Wouldn't that be nice? It's our calling. It's our purpose. It's what the Lord has given us, all of our callings, to live a life that is expansive. Even that picture, do you know what? It's so easy to live a me-centered, closed, small-minded life. But, but when the gospel comes in and transforms, the Lord says, I want you to live an expansive life that gives away the love of Jesus. That's the picture. Will this unsettle your lives? Definitely. The gospel does. Will it cost? Of course it will. Will it mean sacrifice? Undoubtedly. Will it mean hard work? Of course, yes, it will. And is it worth it? Well, what else can we do? We have been given this gift. We have been given this grace. We have been shown this love. We have experienced the love of the almighty God who comes down to us and he says that you are my child, that you are my son, that you are my daughter, that I love you deeply that I've known you before the world began, that I know every hair on your head, that I know everything about you. That is an amazing identity when we live out of that identity. So the Lord's made it very clear what our orders are. He's raising an army of people that love Jesus to live lives that make no sense to the world at all. Because if they do, if our lives make sense to everybody around us, then are they really that radical? Or are they just the same as everybody else? Are we chasing after the things that the world would chase after? In Ecclesiastes, this amazing phrase, and it says it's like chasing after the wind. What a stupid thing to do. But if we're not careful, we can end up chasing after the wind. But the Lord says, no, I want to recenter you. I want to bring you back to the purpose that I made you. I love you. And I want you as my ambassadors to show my love to the world. I want you to show my love to this city. I want you to show my love. Fill in the blank. We're not to be attached to the things of this world. They are not wrong. And you know what? Many of them are very, very good. But they are not the purpose. The purpose is to carry his love into a lost and broken world, to be a people of peace and love and hope and goodness, restorers of broken lives, restorers of broken communities, people that see with the eyes of Jesus, missionaries in this city. Many of us don't like that word. Do you know what? I don't like that word. Don't, sometimes we're like, I don't like that image of being a missionary. But that's what it is. That's what we're called to be in this city. I met this week with an amazing woman in our church called Hannah who's been out in Kyrgyzstan for three years. She felt the call of the Lord to go and be a vet in Kyrgyzstan. She has given up everything to go and live there, and probably within the next four or five months, she will go back and do another three-year placement in Kyrgyzstan. Her life is so inspiring. You know when you sit down with somebody and they start telling you their story, and you're like, I'm utterly, utterly inspired. I'm, I'm not only inspired you by you, but I'm deeply challenged by you as well. And that's the picture that we're called to be missionaries within this city, to go to this city. Ever, as we grew as, sorry, I've got a little bit lost. Just as we move on, I just want to spend a couple of minutes reminding of us 
of how we got to this point today, this church. Some of you will have been on the journey with us from 10 years. Ian, who actually stood up and gave the notices today, was in our very first meeting. Tried to kick him out, but he kept coming back. Week in, week out, he's back. And for others of you, this is your very first week here. And just to say you're so incredibly welcome to this community. If this could be your family, we would love to have you. But we landed in Cardiff 10 years ago, and we literally invited anybody who had a pulse to join us. If you had a pulse, you were welcome. That was the condition. But when, when you have nothing, when you start a church, and there's literally not very many of you, you just fling wide the gates and you say, anybody's welcome, come along. And you get very good inviting. And do you know what? That is something that we never, ever want to lose as a community, that we would be radically brilliant at inviting people into this space. As we uh, grew as a community, we moved from venue to venue over a five-year period. And then we came to this place. Ever since we came to Cardiff, we, we'd seen this building. We'd been in six different venues as we'd grown in size through these different moments. And we'd always wanted to get in here. And I'd asked for five years, and they'd turned us down. And then one day, I got this phone call, and they said, would you like to meet here? And I cannot believe it. We'd been meeting in um, the football ground and Cardiff City had just been promoted. Good for Cardiff, not so good for us. Because it meant suddenly it was like, oh, we keep getting kicked out every Sunday. And so this came, the Lord just magnificently provided this place for us. And it's been wonderful. And however, when we moved into this building, we knew that there would reach a time when we would run out of space if we kept growing. And we realized this three years ago, and particularly within our kids' church and, and our morning. And we, would, we, would, we just realized, do you know what? We're either going to need to move to, to a larger building or we're going to have to plant sites across this city. Had these two op options. Both were possibilities. So we just started praying as a leadership team. We were like, Lord, we've clung on to you on this journey that you've taken us Awesome. Would you just show us the next steps? Lord, show us what you want for us. And what we learned very quickly is that the Lord loves to answer prayer. We had a meeting that night and we just said, and we just prayed. We were like, Lord, we have, we don't know. It's in your hands. Anyway, the next day I sent an email to a guy called Paul Hocking just to pick his brains. And he, he emailed me back immediately and he said, That is so amazing because I was going to email you because I really love to meet you for coffee. Like, amazing. So, anyway, the gate, we sat down with Paul and the gate trust came to us just saying that they felt that they'd reached the point with this, um, with this venue, the gate, where they just needed fresh vision and that they were interested in, were we interested in us being a part of this to take on the day-to-day -day runnings of the building? Now, this was a magnificent curveball that wasn't expected at all, but what an incredible opportunity, what an amazing building. And so we just felt this was the Lord. The Lord was speaking. And we were to lean into this with everything that we had. You know when you just sense the Lord's fingerprints on something, you're just like, Lord, we are going to, we're all in. We're going to go all in because this is what we think that you're saying. And we have pursued this to the best of our ability. At, at the same time, we just explore, started exploring how would multi-site work? How do you do it? And the truth is there's just so many different ways. But firstly and most importantly, we just felt like the Lord's fingerprints on this, his peace, his favor, his direction. We felt excited. We felt that the best way to achieve our vision of seeing the Lord restore different parts of this city, this whole city, was 
to go multi-site. And so we've been blessed with so many phenomenal leaders in this church. It's a real blessing. And uh, you might have heard it said, if you ever lead a small group, lead a small group that you want to go to. And you'll think about that. Because if you lead something that you don't want to be in, why would anybody else want to be in that group? You might so find yourself sometimes in life, you're like, I'm leading this thing. And you're like, I don't want to go. Well, nobody else is going to. So anyway, the point is, if you're going to lead a church, lead a church that you want to be a part of. And so we've been going on this journey. And at the heart of it is for those yet to come, which I've just been talking about, is that people who don't know Jesus are not as likely to travel to join us on a Sunday if they live somewhere else in the city. And so we were like, we would love to have a space where they can go, that they could just come down the road and be straight into a community. So that was the first one for those yet to, to come. The second one is really around greater local impact, is that localized expressions of Cardiff Vineyard are just better placed to, to meet the needs of community in which they meet. Outreach projects can have a local um, impact. You can develop ca compassion projects on the other side of the city. So we can have greater local impact. Thirdly, deeper community. As congregations and sites grow and you come in here, sometimes it's like, oh, do you know what? I don't know everybody. And sometimes going smaller also helps us to be able to deliver pastoral care and to get to know people as well. And then finally, there's this reason that everybody gets to play. We were never meant to be spectators in the Christian life. We were never meant to look in and just watch everybody else. There is something about getting involved that shows us that we're really part of community. When it's the difference between being an owner and being a spectator. When you're in it, when you start serving, when you start being it, w w the shift is you start talking about it as your own. There's an ownership. It's, it's my church. It's our church. Rather than it's that church that I go to. And that's what happens is when we start using our gifts and our talents and all of the things that the Lord's given us in our community, that's when we begin to come alive. Because the Lord made us to give in community. Two years ago, we came to the church and he said, we're preparing to become a multi-site church, and we gave to congregations, as they were called then, Compassion and the Gate. And many of you gave incredibly generously to get us to this point. And over the last two years, we've just been strengthening our core, and we've been investing in this building, the gate, bit by bit by bit, and just changing the culture and strengthening it. We've taken, our, taken on a midweek venue that allows for Grow Baby, which this is a, this amazing compassion project to thrive. It happens on a Thursday in our venue, and I walked in, and it's literally like complete venue takeover. I walked in on Thursday, I was like, whoa, and there's just people, mums and babies and dads and babies just coming out of everywhere, and it just does this beautiful thing. We've just taken on 16 interns. Um, that's an amazing gift, 16 different interns who need space to meet and work and support all the things that the Lord's calling us to. Anyway, Sophie and Ian came to us a year ago, and then they said that the Lord had been speaking to them about moving to the north of the city and that they would love to lead the north site. This was just the most amazing thing. What happened was a number of things came together. There's timing, there's training, and there's vision, and they all combined. And we just knew that this was the Lord. We knew that the Lord's fingerprints were on this. And so for the last year, we've been working hard to make this happen. Next Sunday, the 23rd 
is a commissioning service where we commission Ian and Sophie in the north and we commission Matt and Alice who are going to take over as site pastors here in the gate. It is a day of celebration and we'd love you to come in the evening. And our heart is that we want both sites to thrive. Both sites are going back into gathering mode. We want to open the door wide to make space for those yet to come. And there's an amazing passage, Isaiah 54, verses 2 and 3, that I just want to spend a a few minutes looking at. Because this passage has been given to us prophetically a number of times over the last year. And it says this in verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Now, this passage is obviously written into a context within the Old Testament, and we need to be careful about overly reading into something that was written into a different context. But there are some principles in here. And if just what, what was the context? And if we apply this to the state of the Jews after they r- return out of captivity, so they were in exile. Their whole nation had been taken, basically, and they're in exile. And this idea of having their own space or their own land had just gone they were in captivity. They were hopeless. But this is a promise for the future right here, that they would not stay in this place, that one day that they would expand and stretch out again. In the same way in the New Testament, it says this in Mark 16, 15, this idea of go. It says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. Go. I'm sending you. Do not settle. Enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home, and spare no expense. That's the New Living Translation. And the Lord's prompting, we're, to, we're going, respond to God's call to enlarge our house, to build an addition, to spread out our home. Isaiah said to them, spare no expense, with an exclamation mark. The English Revised Version says this, make your tent bigger, open your doors wide, don't think small. And then I love the message, which is about where I stand in life and getting things. And it just says this, spread out, think big. Basically, if you're like, what's this whole passage about? Spread out, think big. It's pretty simple, isn't it? We're not thinking small. We believe that the Lord is inviting us into planting five sites in the next five years. By 2023, that we would have five sites. We're going to have the central site, we're going to have the north site, and then the Lord, we just believe the Lord is saying, I want you to spread out across this city. To the south, to the west, to the east. We're sparing no expense. We want to do this well. And we're not letting the challenge of the cost hold us back from what we feel like the Lord is asking us to do. We intend to open our doors wide. And we're not thinking small. We're not going to be constrained by what people may think is possible. We are going to faithfully follow God's leading, knowing that God can do far more than we can ever ask or imagine. That phrase, spare no expense, speaks of not allowing resources, finances to to dictate what could happen. And the invitation now is for us to press on with that same risk-taking faithfulness to enable this next phase. The message translation ends this section in verse 4 with, don't be afraid, don't hold back, you're not going to come up short. And though in the original context, the application of this was a little different to our situation today, I take that just as a reminder of God's faithfulness. That whatever it is that the Lord asks us to do, that he's with us in the journey. That the Lord provides. He loves to provide. Do you know what? The truth is, ministry costs money. 
Ministry costs money. In order to fulfill the next steps Jesus is calling us into, we're going to have to give courageously and sacrificially as a community. For some of you, the Lord has never really spoken to you about your finances. I remember the first time that the Lord began speaking to me when I was 20. And up until that point, I'd never even thought about it, if I'm honest. I'd been a Christian my whole life, but the Lord had never spoken to me specifically about my money. But the Lord began to speak to me and just began to read the scriptures. And he was like, I'm just calling you to learn to give your first fruits to me. And that was the beginning of our my, my journey with giving and, and learning to do that. The trustees have costed the next couple of years for us as a community as we launch this north site, as we do all the things that the Lord's calling us to. And we're going to need an additional 160,000 over the two years on top of our regular giving. We are expanding. We are pushing outwards. We could stay the same. Do you know what? We could stay here and we could do exactly what we're doing. And it wouldn't cost us a penny. Or we could push in to the vision that we believe the Lord's called us to, to stretch out to the right and to the left and to build for those yet to come. To enable us in your brochures, it talks through the vision that the Lord's given us. To, en- to plant this north site, to launch this north site, it's going to cost us 84000 It's going to cost us 42000 a year for everything from serving coffee and refreshments to providing spaces for people to meet, to launching new projects, to parties, to gathering, to strengthen Cardiff Central, specifically focusing on outreach and integration. Do you know what? We want to push out. We want to start gathering. We want to have that church planting emphasis again. And it's not just enough to reach people, but we want to see them discipled and integrated. Otherwise, it's like you tell somebody about Jesus, but if they never come into the family and they never grow in their faith, then we've kind of missed the point. The point of discipleship is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. To help prepare for future sites, as we've talked about, we're so excited about what's next. In terms of location, some number of people have been asking me, oh, so where is it? I'll tell you further down the line. Do you know what? We have a good idea of where the Lord we think the Lord's asking us to go. But right now, we're just going to wait on him. I don't want to turn around and be like, you, th- you said you were going to do this. It's like, when the timing's right, we'll speak. In the same way Ian and Sophie came to us about the north, we think that when the timing's right and the vision right and the person's right, the Lord will just activate it. Our first task, however, to is launch the north site as well as we can and to concurrently enable Cardiff Central to thrive and to grow. We're so excited about this service. We're so excited about the evening service. Over the next couple of weeks, there'll be a whole load of students that come back. But this was never meant to just be a student service. This was meant to be for young adults, for older adults, for the whole gamut. We want this to be a vibrant, vibrant community where people are welcomed in, that in this room people would find faith. That you would feel that this is the kind of place where you can invite your mates to. Last Sunday morning, some guy was sitting in the service and he just saw what the Lord was doing. He just gave his life to the Lord there and then. Just like, I love what God's doing here. I want to give my life to Jesus. We, w- we want that not to be an exceptional story, but a normal story. That week in, week out, people are giving their lives to the Lord. 
that there's an expectation that people would want to meet Jesus because we think he's magnificent. So our heart is that this room would thrive, that you would own it, that you would invite people. And that we turn back in a year's time or two years' time and be like, here's some of the stories. Here are the, some of the people that we're baptizing, that some of your friends would be getting baptized, that some of your colleagues would be getting baptized, that some of your family would be getting baptized. There is nothing more celebratory than a baptism service where somebody stands up and they share their story of what God's done. That's the vision. For some of you, as we talk about money, like 160,000, it, it feels so huge that what does it even matter if I was to give something? And you could be discouraged from joining in thinking, do you know what, I'll leave it to some of those really rich people in the church. Do you know what, I'm yet to find those people. I'm yet to find the person that's come up to me and they're like, do you know what, James, I've just got a spare 160K sitting there. Hello? I want to paint a little picture of what happens when we go, we begin to give. I had, let me just paint this picture for you. Perhaps, you know, you're a, a lone parent or on a low income or you're on benefits. Perhaps you're a student and you're thinking, do you know what? My gift would never achieve anything. Just suppose that you're a student and you decide for the next two years you'll buy one less drink a week. One less drink a week. One less pint of beer for the naughty ones of you that drink. You know what? I have the odd drink. It's not naughty. Too many. Anyway. Uh, one less pint of beer or one less coffee or whatever, whatever it is that you like to drink. That would be a sacrifice, but probably one that you could make. Let's say that drink costs you £3 a week. And so you pledge to, say, give £12 a month for the next two years. That adds up to £288, if my maths is right, over a two-year period. Now imagine that your £288 buys a projector for the north site or pays for all the new coffee and tea and equipment needed. Alternatively, it could pay towards enabling us to put on some of the gathering events that we've talked about, some of the parties, some of the alpha events, some of the, the ways that we engage this city. Do you know what? It's like the widow's mite in the, in, in the Bible, the parable of the widow's mite, where she just gives what she can. I genuinely believe that every gift counts. It's not about the amount. It's about the attitude of our hearts. And as we give from the little w that we have, I believe that it releases the Lord to prompt others to give what we would have liked to have given if only we had to give it. It's that, it's that picture of the multiplication that we see in the loaves and the fishes. It's like we just bring our little bit of fish, our scraggy bit of fish and our stale crust of bread, and we just bring it before the Lord. And what happens is that the Lord loves to multiply it. He loves to multiply it. And as before, we're approaching this from the perspective of equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. Some, let's be honest, have far greater resources and could make a pledge for multiple, multiple times that. But let's each give according to our means and as the Lord prompts us to give. And whenever you're talking about giving, I never want it to be this really heavy thing. It is always an invitation. Giving's an always an invitation that the Lord invites us to. Do you know what? Genuinely, I believe that it's a muscle that the Lord grows, generosity, is that suddenly the Lord is just, he begins to grow it over time. And as we learn to give a little bit, and then after a, a while, the Lord's like, do you know what? I want to grow you in this muscle. And so you give a little bit more and you give a little bit more. 
Do you know what? This is mine and Jen's fifth time that we've been through a giving thing with the church. Three times in our previous church, twice in this church. And we come before the Lord again and we're like, Lord, what is it that you want to give? We've given multiple tens of thousands of pounds to these things in the past. We've been very blessed that we've had that to give. But that's also us coming before the Lord and being like, Lord, what is it that you would have us give? It's a moment where we get on our knees and we pray and we say, Lord, it's yours. All of it. You, you've, I'm a steward, not an owner. What is it? How would you have me use the money that you've given me? And do you know what? That's when the Lord begins to do some amazing miracles. I'd encourage you not to land too quickly on a figure which feels comfortable, but pray about it over the next week until you're convinced the amount that you have the amount of what the Lord's asking you to give. Maybe that you've got some money available which he'd like you to give as an upfront gift, or it may be that you consider pledging over the next two years. For some, the Lord might inspire you to pledge a couple of percent. For others who have more resources, perhaps something higher. If enough people give a few percent of their income over the coming years, and we also get a healthy amount in upfront gifts, this target of £160,000 really is possible. Next week on the 23rd of September, please bring your field in forms and we'll take up an offering and we'll give it before the Lord. and We'll be like, Lord, I've given my bit. I want to finish with this story by a guy called Jay Paffitt that I mentioned at the beginning. He was the one that orchestrated, well, it was the Lord actually, but he was speaking when the Lord broke mine and Jen's hearts. And he told this story eight years ago that has never left me. When we're talking about this subject of those yet to come, it has powerfully, powerfully impacted me over the years. And I just wanted to finish with it because I think it's an amazing story. He says this, I want you to imagine this. We're on a camping trip and it's a dark, cool night and we're standing by a campfire. I suddenly stand up and I, I say, hi, everyone. I need your attention. My daughter is lost and she's about nine years old. She's about nine years old. She's about so high. The last time I saw her, she was uh, wearing a little pink jacket, and she's about so high. I'm, I'm just going to circulate a picture, and, and if we break into groups, I'm sure that we can find her. The last time I saw her, that she was walking in that direction over there into the woods. Please, please help me. I'm sure we can find her. She can't look on that far. I grab a few people, and we run off into the woods. Some people gather around, and they say, before we look... We just need to come up with a great plan. I've, I've heard there are some books written about finding people in the woods in this kind of scenario. And then someone else says, do you know what? I once sang a song about being lost in the woods. It might help us. Before long, we're singing a song around the campfire and we get out some marshmallows about helping lost people. How would you feel as a father? in that situation. I tell you what, as a father, you'd come back in and you'd be like, the best that would happen is that you'd just walk away. You'd be like, they haven't got it. They obviously just don't get it. They don't get my heart. They don't value what I value. I think the worst much worse. But I think at the heart of it is this. Jesus would say to us, would you join me in the search party? Go and rescue those who are far away from me. They're lost and they don't even know it. They're not choosing to be lost. Most, most people don't even know that they're lost. But God would say, come and join me on the search party. The Lord is always moving and he's always speaking. And there will be people. I bet that there's somebody 
in the house this evening that they're asking the question, God, are you real? They're like, God, are you real? Are you there? There'll be people across this city that are asking that question. It could be somebody who's in a difficult marriage. And they're saying, God, can you help? My point is this. The Lord is always drawing people. He is always speaking. And part of our purpose is to be part of that picture that I talked about earlier for those yet to come, that we want to build an amazing community for those yet to come. It is for those that are already here, but there's always this outward focus that says, Lord, who is it that you want to bring? Lord, we are going to be a people that are going to pray for those yet to come in this city. So why don't we stand? Lord, I want to thank you that when somebody comes into your kingdom, there's an amazing shout of joy. That there's a party up in heaven. That picture that when somebody gives their life to you, there's just this party in, in heaven that the angels are rejoicing. And Lord, as a people, we, wanna, we, we just say we want to see that happen. We sang about revival this morning, and I, if you're not careful, it's an overused word. But at the same time, we do want to see a turning back to you. We believe that you are the, the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Lord, we stand as a people that say, in this service, we want to see people come to faith. And, Lord, would you use us? I can tell you there is no greater joy than leading one of your friends to Jesus. In life, literally, there is no greater joy when they turn to you and they're like, how can I find God? I remember doing that with my wife. How can I tell me about God? Did that with Jen and just to lead her on that journey of this is what it means to know. This is what it means to meet the Lord. This is what it feels like. This is what it looks like. This is how he speaks. This is how good he is. So, Lord, would you put an excitement in our, in our hearts for that? Would you just implant something this evening? Would it not be heavy? But would there be this lightness over the room that says, yeah, Lord. We're up for it. We want to be a part of that. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. We just invite you right now. Would you just settle on people around this room, and would you begin to break their heart for the things that break yours? Some of you just might want to put out your hands and just be like, Lord, I just want to receive your heart right now. So just invite him in. Say, Lord, I invite you in. More, Lord, just come. Come, Holy Spirit. For some of you, the Lord is just bringing names. Just begin to pray for them. Just begin to give them to the Lord.